my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 558. Welcome in. Hope you're doing very well. Um, I got a couple things I got to say real quick. First of all, let's acknowledge the the bright elephant in the room. I'm wearing a different shirt today. I think it's the first time in like 100 episodes I've worn a not boring black shirt. So if you want to watch the show on YouTube, hey, guess what? Uh, I don't think I'll do this again for a while. I only own two of these exact shirts. Um, not enough to wear every day of the week. I got enough black shirts to wear for like three weeks, basically. I have like 14 of them. Um, so like, I don't think, my, like literally laundry wise, I can't wear this shirt every day on the show. It is my favorite shirt. I rarely wear it. I found it. Uh, I was unpacking some stuff today. People forget, I just moved across the ocean. My stuff is still in boxes. I'm doing the best I can, working as much as I can, trying to get my life together. I found the shirt. I was like, I should wear it today on the show. That would be really fun. Uh, also, if you hear weird noises in the background today, um, there's like a hurricane passing by. Hurricane Dora, apparently. Uh, I went for my morning walk because I'm trying to lose weight. I'm down six pounds, actually, which feels really good. Go, I walk six miles every morning before work. Then I don't eat from like 3 p.m. until the next morning. So that's doing wonders. I'm, I'm trying to teach my body to use my fat reserves. Uh, and I'm, I'm losing weight. It's actually working. I'm very surprised. Anyway, I'm on my morning, my morning walk this morning. And there's a cop who's like, hey, uh, why are you here? Why are you? Why are you? Not like in Hawaii. Like, why are you walking outside? Because the wind is insane. Like my, my hair is straight up. I'm like, like leaning into the wind, barely able to walk. There's no one outside. And I'm like, dude, I got to lose weight. I got to walk. I got to go for my daily walk. But it is, if you hear weird noises in the background today, the wind outside is like 50 miles an hour. Like, it's insane. I've been hearing insane, weird noises all day, stuff clattering around. My door keeps slamming. It's a whole shebang. So um, if there's weird noises in the background of today's episode, it's because there's a hurricane outside. It's not actually hitting the island. It's like moving nearby, but it is causing... um, I feel bad for, like, landscapers today. Just there's a mess of tree, like, litter everywhere all over the streets. And uh, I don't know. It's a big storm. And it's kind of – I think it's fun. It's nice to have a breeze all day going through my room. Uh, But if there's weird noises, that is why. All right. um, Today on the show, we are going to talk about the West, the AFC West, the NFC West. That's Kansas City, the Chargers, the Raiders, the – Broncos, the Rams, the Cardinals, Seattle, and the 49ers. Um, we're going to do predictions for those teams. There's not a lot of big news going on, so I'm, I'm just going to, I'm not going to talk about news today. Tomorrow's episode, we're going to talk about hard knocks probably at the beginning of the show, then get into predictions. And, uh, you know, on, on Thursday's episode, we're going to do a lot of questions from Patreon as well as do predictions. But today, it's just predictions. It's me rambling, having fun talking about sports. Um, I, I do want to say, in, in case you don't know how I do predictions, the way I'm doing it, I, I spend a lot of time researching every NFL team. I get to know them really well. It's a lot of work. I mean, I, I said on yesterday's episode that this process, if you do just an hour of research for every NFL team, that's 32 hours. And I do way more than an hour of research in every NFL team. I try to get to know every NFL team really, really well. And then I go through every single NFL game on the schedule, all 272 games. That is 272 decisions to make on who's going to win every game. And I, I try to just go through every game. There's only 272 wins to go around. So if you, know, if you count up predictions, win totals, they better all add up to 272 or else you've done your job wrong. 
And at the end, I count up every record. Who, how has every team done as I've gone through their wins? And then I double check. I'm like, well, does this record make sense? Does that record make sense? But for the most part, I just go with it. And I'm like, look, I, I really am convicted these games are going to be won and lost. And sometimes it's a sobering process because I go through my process. And then as I count up the results, I start to realize, oh, no. Based on what I believe and know about this team, this team's season's going to go way different than I thought because their schedule is tougher or weaker than I thought. And uh, we're doing round one this week. And then at the beginning of September, I'm going to revisit my predictions. And, you know, between now and September, listen to all the feedback, hear why everyone thinks I'm wrong, and hear what people have to say. And I'm going to try to be really thoughtful and go, okay, let's reconsider what needs to be changed or edited and what doesn't. What do I feel really strongly about and what maybe should I change my mind on? So I I say all this to say I want you to send in feedback. If you don't agree with me today, that's totally fine. I think we can disagree in a civil manner. What I really hope is that you tell me why you don't agree with me. Send me feedback. Say, hey, Zach, I think you're crazy about my team. Here's why. And give me like a detailed, thoughtful comment on YouTube or Patreon or on even on Instagram. I read them. I listen. And especially this time of year, as I'm getting to know teams, I, I, I think it's really valuable to listen to feedback and acknowledge what I might be right or wrong about. And I have an open mind. So if you don't agree with me today, take a deep breath. It's okay. Please send me feedback and tell me why you disagree. Now, that being said, let's start with Kansas City. I have so much confidence in the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, In the last five years since Patrick Mahomes got there, I have seen them reload so many times. And I I feel like every year there's some new narrative. Oh, no, they lost this guy and it's going to really affect their season. And they're not going to be the same without insert literally any name. I got to just really be clear here. As long as they have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City is going to be a Super Bowl contender. And I feel like it somehow doesn't get enough attention that they literally lost what I would call the best receiver in the NFL, Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill left the team, got traded to Miami. So they lost again, arguably the best receiver in the NFL. And then right after that happened, that same year, Kansas City won the Super Bowl. They lost Tyreek Hill and still won the Super Bowl. That was a, a cornerstone moment for me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm not going to forget this. I am not going to forget when... Every fall from here on out, the rest of Patrick Mahomes' career, there's a narrative like, oh no, they lost this player or that guy. I'm going to say, well, remember when Tyreek Hill left and they won a Super Bowl? Let's not hit the panic button. They've got Patrick Mahomes. They've got Andy Reid. They're a Super Bowl contender. They're a really good football team. And one of the more interesting narratives this year in the NFL is Eric Bieniemy left his job as the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. He is now in Washington trying to prove himself and show what he can do without Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Trying to stand alone and, I think, become a head coach eventually. And this is not awesome, what I'm about to say, but it's, it's true. The worst thing I think that can be said about Eric Bieniemy is that I believe Kansas City is going to be totally fine without him. He's going to leave, and there's going to be no big impact in Kansas City. The offense is going to be fine. And how do you measure what a guy can do if he leaves and nothing changes? I mean, they're like, did he really make an impact? We'll see what he can do in Washington. But now that I, when I put it that way and I realize like, hey, Kansas City is going to be fine without him. That does hurt Eric Bieniemy. 
And uh, I, I thought this year Kansas City made a couple movies I really liked. They added a right tackle, Juwan Taylor. He left Jacksonville. He's only 25 years old. A lot of potential there. They got a new left tackle, Donovan Smith, who came over after kind of a down year in Tampa last fall. So I think, look, Kansas City, they've got a really solid offensive line, great quarterback, great coach. And the more you win, the harder it is to keep your group of guys together because everybody wants to go get paid. You, you win, you have a lot of success, and you're like, hey, I want to get financially rewarded. And I, I think teams like Kansas City or Cincinnati are in a tough spot where you're a perennial borderline Super Bowl team every year. And your players are playing at a high level. They're going to want to leave. And you got to kind of reload. you got to find creative ways to rebuild your team every single year. And Eagles general manager Howie Roseman gets so much praise and respect as he's viewed as the best general manager in the NFL. He deserves that title, by the way. But I think the guy who's kind of unsung and underappreciated in the NFL is the Chiefs general manager, Brett Veach. Every year, somehow, they put a great team together around Kansas City that's capable of competing for a Super Bowl. Doesn't that count for something? I mean, look at the mess the LA Rams are right now. They won a Super Bowl two years ago, and then they fell apart. Their roster financially just fell apart. They couldn't afford to keep everybody. It's, they're now like paying $72 million to players that aren't even on their football team. Kansas City hasn't had a moment like that. They have not fallen apart under Brett Beach. In, in fact, they've won two Super Bowls and been to three while he's been their general manager. They keep winning year in and year out. And I think because Brett Beach has Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback, he's got a great coach, he gets penalized and not viewed as his really smart, thoughtful general manager. But I just want to be clear, he just has sustained the level of success and level of roster around Patrick Mahomes every year with a lot of really smart, creative moves, including getting two really good offensive linemen this offseason that are going to help Patrick Mahomes. So I think he's a general manager that deserves a little more credit as you look around the NFL. Here is what I find. Well, there's a couple things I find really interesting on this roster in Kansas City. Here's one thing, though. It's their, their pass rushers, in my opinion, still have a lot to prove. Uh, last year's first-round pick, George Karloftis, had six sacks as a rookie. That's pretty solid for a rookie season as a pass rusher. But I wonder, can George Karloftis produce even more this ball in Kansas City. And then there's a, a concerning thing. It's not the end of the world. Again, Casey's going to be fine. But their other defensive end, Charles Amenehu, uh, is suspended for the first six games of the year. So, again, I, I wonder, especially early, well, they've got one of their defensive ends out. Can they get pressure on opposing quarterbacks? That's a big narrative that's got to be talked about in Kansas City. Now, the way they're going to get pressure is by blitzing. That's what they do in Kansas City. I feel like I'm saying Kansas City a lot too much. I'm going to try to cut that down. Maybe say KC. I'm not sure. Uh, but Steve Spagnuolo, Steve Spagnuolo is their defensive coordinator. And I love the way he runs his defense. This defense doesn't have a lot of star players. They don't have any like... Uh, they've had over the years, Tyron Matthew, have had a couple of good players. But this year, and I think recently, they've been waning in their great, you know, really name recognizable great players. But what they do is a lot of really complicated stuff that makes it really difficult for opposing quarterbacks. Players are moving. Blitzes are coming at random times from random places. It's a really difficult defense to play against because of the, how complicated they are and because of all the different looks they can provide. So I think that's another parallel maybe between Cincinnati, actually, is that Cincinnati and Kansas City have a weaker pass rush and not the best defense when it comes to, like, 
recognizable names, but they've got a really good scheme that makes it difficult for opposing quarterbacks. And so, man, I, I think this is a – these two teams are so parallel. Kansas City and, and Cincinnati, they've been playing each other in the AFC title game two years in a row, and they're both every year trying to just keep their group of guys together. And uh, I like the way that Kansas City has done it this year. Now, the receiving room is probably the most interesting thing in Kansas City. First of all, their tight end, Travis Kelsey, he's a star. He's amazing. Arguably, him or George Kittle are the best tight end in football. And I think while George Kittle's a better blocker, a better, like, true tight end, I would actually continue that train of thought and say that Travis Kelsey is the biggest mismatch in football. Him being guarded by a linebacker just is not fair and not possible. They also have a, a really solid, reliable receiver, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Uh, came over uh, you know, from Green Bay at one point, and now he, he's in Kansas City playing really well. Did a lot of good stuff last year, had a couple big catches. But a lot of the, you know, not only has Tyreek Hill left, Michael Hardman left, a lot of the names you would recognize over the years catching passes for the Chiefs, they're gone. Uh, and kind of what's happening this year in Kansas City, and the biggest question is at receiver with them, because they got two guys, Sky Moore and Kadarius Toney, that are being elevated into bigger, more key roles. Kadarius Toney and Sky Moore are unproven, but they're going to be expected to do a lot and really do some heavy lifting in this offense this year. Juju Smith-Schuster's gone. Michael Hardman is gone. A lot of the guys over the years you've seen Patrick Mahomes throw passes to are no longer there. Now, there is a lot of potential with Kadarius Tony and Skymore. Uh, they're both really fast. They're both explosive players. Um, ironically, they both have run 4 40-yard dash times. Like, they're both incredibly quick. And uh, Kadarius Tony's a former first-round pick. He was drafted by the Giants. Didn't quite work out in New York. Last year, he found a home in Kansas City. And uh, it's a guy who, like, man, he had a touchdown in the Super Bowl. He's got so much potential. But the problem with Kadarius Tony over the years has been he can't stay on the field. He can't stay healthy. Um, you know, Kadarius Tony's been in the NFL for three years. That's three full seasons. He's only played 19 games. That is not great. That's a guy missing a lot of time due to injuries. So he's unproven. Talented and good when he plays, but hasn't done a lot. He's got to stay on the field. Sky Moore had 22 catches, no touchdowns as a rookie last year. He's, it's, that's fine, but he's unproven. Talented, really gifted athlete but we'll see what he can do. So as I say, what I find interesting in Kansas City at the receiver position is can these two young receivers step up and you know, show what they can do and really help Kansas City win? I think it's going to work. Again, I, I talked at the beginning of the segment about how I have seen Kansas City reload year after year after year. You're talking about Andy Reid, the best offensive coach in football. He can take talented players and put them in a good position to succeed. And I think that's exactly what they have with Sky Moore and Kadarius Toney. You can't control injuries. I think Sky Moore is going to be awesome. And uh, I, I'm really, I'm hoping, please, that Kadarius Toney can stay healthy. He's literally dealing with a foot issue right now. So it's not like, it's like, eh, we'll see. But when it comes down to it, you got to pick a side. I believe that the receiving core in Kansas City is going to be awesome. And it's going to all work out like it has year after year in Kansas City. Uh, there's no reason to believe this year will not be just like all the years of the past. So this fall, I have Kansas City going 12-5. and five. I think they're going to make a deep playoff run, win their division. That's what they do. Um, again, 12-5. and five, I think Casey wins their division with a 
five and one record in their division, which is going to be key because it's going to help them win their division. They might have the same record as another team in their division. But 12 and five, they're going to win their division, make a deep playoff run. That is what I see happening this fall with Kansas City. And uh, the big question mark, can they get you know, pressure on opposing quarterbacks, especially early on with men who out? And how do their young receivers, Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony, play as they get elevated into bigger roles than ever before? All right. Um, this one's a fun one. This is a, a topic. The, the AFC West, there's a reason I went with them first today. I, I really I love what's going on there. It's going to be so interesting. And I think there's three really good teams in the West in the AFC. The two are going to have great records. One of them that's really good. I look at kind of with a sideways glance, and I'm like, you got good players, but coaching is really, really important. Um, Now, let's talk about Denver. The Denver Broncos have so much talent on the roster. I feel like that's something I've been saying for a, a, a lot of years, man. I've been waiting and waiting for this football team to reach their potential and win a lot of games. And this year, Denver hired Sean Payton as their head coach. He's a guy who won a Super Bowl in New Orleans, turned that football team and that franchise, that city, around. After a tragedy, he took a horrible franchise, the New Orleans Saints, and turned them into a winner, a Super Bowl winner. He turned Drew Brees into a guy who was discarded by the San Diego Chargers. He hurt his shoulder. They had Phillip Rivers. They got rid of Drew Brees. He turned Drew Brees, that guy who wasn't wanted by San Diego, he turned Drew Brees into a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now, I I think the better way to put it is he helped Drew Brees reach his potential, but I don't think Drew Brees is the quarterback we know him today as without Sean Payton. So this year, Denver finally, finally, hallelujah, has a head coach that I think can help them take advantage of their great roster and reach their potential as a football team. And on paper, I would actually say Denver has better players, a better roster than the guys in Kansas City. They've got an amazing offensive line. They made their offensive line even better by adding, you know, left guard Ben Powers from Baltimore and right tackle Mike McGlinchey from San Francisco. That's two really great offensive linemen. They've got Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton at receiver who are, I think, nationally underappreciated. A lot of people don't realize how good they are because for years and years, Denver has not had good quarterback play. You know, Cortland Sutton's been there since he was a second round pick in 2018 He's seen a lot of quarterbacks that have not been very good. And he finally got Russell Wilson last year, and Russell Wilson wasn't very good either. He's a guy who is so good and yet has never gotten an opportunity to show what he can do with a great quarterback. I am really hopeful that in Sean Payton's offense, with hopefully Russell Wilson playing better, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton finally get the respect they deserve. Uh, With Man, I, I just see so much potential there. Now, their number three receiver, Tim Patrick, He's out for the year. He tore his Achilles in training camp. That's really sad. Uh, they do have Marquez Callaway, a guy who came over from New Orleans. I think he's going to contribute a lot at receiver. I believe in him. Uh, they drafted a stud tight end, Greg Dulcich, out of UCLA. This guy's a freak, man. I watched him play live in the Shrine Bowl at Vegas. I have seen, man, I think Greg Dulcich is just amazing. I can't wait to watch him play in Denver. Their defense in Denver also has a lot of potential. They hired... Here's a kind of a funny one. They hired Vance Joseph as their defensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, Cortland Sutton used to play for Vance Joseph when Vance Joseph was the head coach of the Denver Broncos. In 2017 and part of 2018, before he got fired, Vance Joseph was the head coach in Denver. He failed as a head coach 
And I hope that Broncos fans who are like, oh, no, fans, Joseph, don't bring him back. That's horrible. I think they hopefully they realize he might have failed as a head coach, but he's still a really good defensive coordinator. And uh, I think he's going to really help this defense in Denver. Now, one thing that they did this offseason, Denver added Frank Clark and Zach Allen up front on their defense. They are trying to make their pass rush better. Um, they've got a good defensive tackle, DJ Jones. Randy Gregory is a good linebacker. Um I think arguably, there would be a, a heavy argument here and a big conversation, but you could argue Pat Sertan, their corner, is the best corner in football. Um, but they really are trying to, they're relying heavily on a couple of guys who are rolling a dice on Frank Clark and Zach Allen in particular. They're hoping they can make their pass rush better. We'll see. We'll find out. Uh, another question mark on the Broncos' defense is their number two corner, Damari Mathis. He's got to prove himself. He was a fourth-round pick last year. We will see how he does in year two. Um, so I, I think the pass rush, that's a question mark. I think the number two corner is a question mark in Denver. But by far, the biggest concern and the biggest question mark in Denver is obviously their quarterback, Russell Wilson. He was all-time bad last year. Russell Wilson is a once-great quarterback, a guy who won a Super Bowl in Seattle, made a lot of money in his career, and yet he finds himself in a position now where Russ has a lot to prove. And I think you could blame last year on having a bad head coach and a disaster with your coaching staff, but there's no excuses now. They've got a good football team, a great head coach. And Denver traded a lot, not only to get Russell Wilson, but then they paid a lot to Russell Wilson to give him a contract extension in Denver. So Denver's heavily invested in Russell Wilson. It's time for him to repay the investment they made in him. And I think it's very simple this fall. You either believe that Sean Payton is the answer in Denver or you don't. I think he is. I think Sean Payton's going to be amazing in Denver. I think he's going to make a huge impact on this football team. He's going to help Russell Wilson. I think the underrated storyline with Russell Wilson is not only Sean Payton as a head coach designing plays and running their offense, but I think Sean Payton's going to help Russell Wilson mentally and emotionally. Last year, I saw Russell Wilson have a crisis of confidence. And I, I know that because I've had one myself. I, I know what it's like to, you struggle a little bit and you're getting a lot of criticism. And then suddenly you start to believe the criticism you're getting and you wonder, is that true? That's exactly what happened to Russell Wilson last year. He was brought in to be the savior. The expectations were super high and it went really, really bad. And I think Russ fell apart in his own head. It's also worth noting his, his dad died and Trevor Moad died. Trevor Moad was his kind of psychologist, his sports psychologist really helped him with confidence and get his emotion and um, his headspace right. So last year, not only was Russell Wilson really struggling on the field, but the people he would, a traditional player would lean on, his father's gone. Trevor Moad, the guy who kind of stepped in to become a, more of a mentor and a guy that helped him get his head right. He was gone. And so I don't think Russell Wilson had anyone to lean on mentally and emotionally. He was really struggling behind the scenes. You saw him cracking. I mean, there were moments where, like, I remember being like, this dude is so inauthentic. It's weird. I don't get it. I think it's because he was having a crisis off the field. And so Sean Payton, I think, is going to help him because at one point Drew Brees was in a similar situation where Drew Brees was 
coming back from a horrible shoulder injury, was unwanted by San Diego, and Drew Brees was given confidence by Sean Payton. So it's not only that Sean Payton's got to help Russell Wilson get his head right, but he's also, as a coach, going to design an offense that's going to better suit Russell Wilson. He's going to put him in a better position to be successful than I think any coach has in the last couple of years for Russell Wilson. I think that is the key here uh, to Russell Wilson doing well. So I have the Denver Broncos going 12-5 and five this fall. I'm really excited for them. I think it's going to be an awesome year. I have them losing the division technically to Kansas City uh, because they're going to go um, you know, four and two in their division where Kansas City at the same record, 12 and five, is going to go five and one. Um, so I think that's why they're not going to win their division. But I think that 12 and five, I understand that's a dramatic change for Denver. You know, they, that would be, they want five and 12 last year in Denver. That would be a complete flip and be seven more wins this year than last year. I know that sounds insane. You're like, how, how can a team win seven more games than they did last year? But I think it also speaks to just how bad the leadership and coaching was in Denver last year. They were managed terribly. I uh, There's not a – if you want an example of Denver just being horribly managed, go watch the final minute of the Denver-Seattle game last year. Seattle was on defense. Denver had the ball with a minute left. And they just, it was such a disaster with clock management, bad decision-making, horrible coaching. If, you, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, go watch it. It really speaks for itself. But I really believe in the impact that Sean Payton can have and the impact that good coaching can have. And so I see Denver getting completely turned around here this year and finally reaching their potential as a football team. And it's going to be year one of building towards a Super Bowl in Denver. That's what they're trying to do. Um, you know, Sean Payton said, I would be mad if this team didn't make the playoffs. I actually very much agree. It's a team that's very capable of that. And with good coaching and smart decision-making, they can definitely do that. Now, the toughest games on Denver's schedule, they play Kansas City, Buffalo, the Jets, Cleveland, and Miami. Obviously, they play KC twice. Um, you know, They play Miami week three. They play the Jets week five. I am curious how quickly... Sean Payton can get this team ready to start competing with the very best teams in the AFC because if there's a delay by week three, like you, you got to have it ready. You got to be ready. And then week six and eight, they play Kansas City twice in a three week span. So Denver's going to have to get going quickly. That's a big concern. That might be a hiccup in my prediction that 12 and five, it might take them a little longer to get going. But if they can make a playoff game, I think by the end of the year, this is going to be a well oiled machine at, from week one to week 18. You're going to see Denver grow a ton and really change. they got a new head coach making a lot of sweeping changes, and I think it's going to work out at a really, really high level. I really buy into, and I believe in Sean Payton working well in Denver. All right, um, so two teams down, six to go. Let's talk about a team in the AFC West that... I so badly want to believe in. I so badly want this team to do well. I'm not sure they will. That's disappointing. But let's just say it. Um, I am really skeptical of Chargers head coach Brandon Staley. He's going into his third year. And, and so far, he's only disappointed me. He actually won more games last year in year two than he did in year one. In 2021, he went nine and eight. Last year, 
the LA Chargers went 10 and 7. Technically, that's progress. You're like, wow, hey, they're getting better. If they get better this year, that's great. And, and maybe, maybe Brandon Staley's amazing this year. Maybe the Chargers get even better than they were last year. But I watched their playoff game last year. They were up 27 points over the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they lost. They had a 27-point lead in a playoff game and lost in regulation 31-30. to On top of that, I'll never forgive Brandon Staley for this. Week 18 in a meaningless football game, he chose not to rest his starters, and some of them got hurt. So I just don't trust Brandon Staley. We'll see. It feels like it's now or never. They've got a good team in... Uh, in, in L.A. with the, the Chargers, but I think he's got to win this year or get out. Now, unfortunately, I'm not sure that the Chargers' ownership group has the same feeling I do. I think they're complacent. I think they are willing to be mediocre. They're not hungry to pay a lot of money to a new head coach. They're kind of cheap. So I, I think that's a problem. It's going to be really frustrating. If they underachieve this year, I'm, I'm worried that Brandon Staley is going to keep his job because he's underachieved two years in a row. Now, there was one big move that was made. I guess there's really two. We'll talk about the other one in a second. But the Chargers did hire a new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. He was the offensive coordinator last year before he was fired in Dallas. Hey, we'll see. I've got an open mind there with Kellen Moore. I don't want to be too critical of him without allowing him time to prove what he can do. And there's a lot of talented players on the Chargers roster. They've got their star quarterback, Justin Herbert. He's amazing. Got a massive contract this offseason. Totally deserved it. I love it. Got an awesome running back, Austin Eckler. They've got a good offensive line. They've got three really good receivers. They've got Keenan Williams and Mike Williams, but they also drafted Quinton Johnson at a TCU in the first round. They've got Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. They've got Asante Samuel Jr. and J.C. Jackson at corner. They've got a good safety, Derwin James. Like There is talent on this roster enough that the Chargers should win a lot of football games. But while I like this football team on paper, I do also wonder why I should believe in this Chargers team and what's really different. I mean, how is this team different than the years past where they've disappointed? They've had great players for years, and it's been disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. What's dramatically different? they got a new offensive coordinator who got fired from his last job. We'll see. I've got an open mind. They've got a new receiver. That's going to be awesome, but it's really more for their future as Keenan Allen and Mike Williams get older. I don't know, man. A lot of these players on the Chargers roster, they're great. But I wonder if they're past their prime. And uh, they're getting older every year. I mean, I know that's, they're not getting younger, I guess. But I have the Chargers going 7-10 and 10 this fall. Seven wins, 10 losses. And uh, I, I honestly hope I'm wrong. I, I would love to be wrong about that. I want to see Justin Herbert win. I so badly, like, I would be really disappointed if Justin Herbert retired and didn't win a Super Bowl at some point. I felt really upset when Philip Rivers didn't win a Super Bowl. I think about Dan Marino, who like, man, I, I, if only you could say Dan Marino had won a Super Bowl, he'd be viewed so differently in you know historical context. And so I want to see Justin Herbert win a lot. And, uh, you know, maybe the Chargers can be elevated and become one of the elite teams at the top of the AFC. Maybe they can crack that big three of Buffalo, Cincinnati, and Kansas City. They have the talent to do it. Kansas, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just mixing up my words. The LA Chargers have the talent to become one of the better teams in the AFC. Unfortunately, I just don't believe in their coach. 
Brandon Staley is a defensive head coach with a ton of stars on their defense. Why is their defense not amazing? It's time for their defense to play well. First of all, if that's your calling card, you got to be good at it. One, one possible route for this football team, they go 7-10, and 10, maybe they fire Brandon Staley. Remember, the Chargers organization is cheap. It really was infuriating to me when they didn't make a move to go hire Sean Payton. Imagine Sean Payton coaching all of these players and Justin Herbert. It would have been incredible, but we didn't get that because they're cheap and don't want to spend a lot of money on a head coach. So one cheap way to get a new head coach is if they fire Brandon Staley, maybe they will elevate Kellen Moore to become head coach. I could see that happening, and maybe that works out a little better. But the bottom line is there's too much talent for this football team to be average. And I blame all the past failures in L.A. on mismanagement and poor coaching. And so, man, again, I just go back to I was shocked when they didn't make a move to go get Sean Payton. He was out there. He was available. He was living in L.A. Like, he was working for Fox Sports. And they didn't go hire him. So, again, I have the Chargers going 10-7, and 7, 10 wins, 7 losses this year. Sorry, 7-10. and 10. Gee, see, jumbling my words. I have the Chargers going 7-10 and 10 this year. 7 wins, 10 losses. Not a great year. A step backward. A disappointing year. They've got a tough schedule. Uh, I think they lose both games against Denver where they're going to get outcoached. And hopefully, if I'm wrong, I would love to be wrong. I like Brandon Staley. The way he talks about his players, the way it seems like he's built a culture that I would like to play in. I mean, he really's built a, a good place to work in L.A. I like Brandon Staley as a person. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope he's amazing this fall. I hope they... Uh, imagine if the Chargers can get to the AFC title game or a Super Bowl and really, like, show, because they've got the talent to do it. But I don't have confidence in Brandon Staley. And if they go 7-10 and 10 this fall, 7 wins, 10 losses, there better be consequences for Brandon Staley. Because I don't think he got any consequences for that horrible playoff loss last year, which was embarrassing and awful. And... uh it all comes down to the reason why I have the Chargers going 7-10 and 10 is simply because I don't believe in their head coach. And uh, coaching matters. makes a huge impact on your football team. I.e., go watch Denver last year. Great players getting embarrassed week to week. The Broncos-Colts game was one of the worst games I've ever watched in my entire life. And the Denver Broncos had a way better football team. So coaching matters. And I've watched the Chargers for years now flounder mediocrity with great players. Totally underachieve. And if you're underachieving year in and year out, it's because your coaching staff is wrong and your head coach probably is the wrong guy. And so I've lost all faith and confidence in Brandon Staley. I hope I'm wrong, but that is why I have the Chargers going 7-10. and 10. Um, Let's talk about another coach I am skeptical of. We got to say it. Um, first of all, I feel really bad for Raiders receiver Devontae Adams. Um, I feel less bad for him when I look at his contract. You're like, oh, yeah, he's making millions. He's totally fine. But he came to Vegas to play for the Raiders and play with his buddy Derek Carr. And was hoping to play with Derek Carr as his quarterback for years. I remember when Devontae Adams came over, I was like, look, man, he played with the Hall of Fame quarterback. Aaron Rodgers put up a lot of big numbers. Devontae Adams wants to become a Hall of Fame receiver. In order to do that, you got to play with a great quarterback for years, and that's his goal is he wants to put up big numbers and play with Derek Carr probably for the rest of his career. And then after one year together, the Raiders got rid of Derek Carr. 
And I'm really fascinated who's going to win that breakup. Is Derek Carr, you know, three years from now, when we look at the Raiders and we look at Derek Carr in New Orleans, who's going to have done better? If Derek Carr goes to the Saints and kills it, makes a couple playoff games, wins a couple playoff games, does really well, and the Raiders are horrible, he's going to win the breakup. Now, the Raiders' new quarterback is Jimmy Garoppolo. Certainly, he was a cheaper option, um, which, hey, that does matter. Like, you don't want to overpay your quarterback. And if you can pay your quarterback less, you can build a better team around said quarterback. So I, I actually understand the thought process there. If Jimmy Garoppolo is a similar ability level to Derek Carr, but comes in at a cheaper option and has a better relationship with the head coach, Josh McDaniels, fair enough. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a stabilizing force. He's definitely the leader of the football team. You know, the the rumor out of camp is that when he's in the huddle, it's a different level. They play better. It's a different level of competition. Um, the offense looks way better. And remember, Jimmy Garoppolo has history with Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels. They work together in New England. So it makes sense that Jimmy Garoppolo is in the Raiders organization. I understand that. My number one concern with Jimmy Garoppolo is actually whether he can stay healthy or not. He gets hurt constantly. He got hurt last year. In fact, did you know Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't played a full season other than the one time in 2019? Every other year of Jimmy Garoppolo's career, he's gotten hurt, missed a lot of games, missed a lot of time. He's played one full season. I think people don't realize that. I don't have confidence Jimmy Garoppolo can finish the year. He's going to get hurt. That's what he does. That's the best thing Jimmy Garoppolo's done. That Look handsome, make a lot of money. Those are the three things Jimmy Garoppolo does really well. Get hurt, make money, look handsome. <laughs> Say what you want about Derek Carr. They didn't like how much they were paying Derek Carr, but at least Derek Carr didn't spend very much time watching from the sidelines. He was always available to play. He got hurt one time in his career. Now, the Raiders have a solid receiving room. They've got Devontae Adams. He's the star receiver. He's amazing, actually. They've got a really good number two, Hunter Renfro. They brought in Jacoby Myers from New England. I am really curious what happens with tight end Austin Hooper. Um, he signed a big contract with Cleveland in 2020. That didn't work out. And now, since then, Austin Hooper's been on three teams in three years. He's trying to replace Darren Waller. We'll see. Uh, there's potential there. It really depends on what the Raiders do with him. I'm not sure Austin Hooper's the great tight end they're hoping he will be. Although I'm not sure they're hoping. I think they have realistic expectations for him. I just I'm not sure that he's a good enough tight end to do what they need in the Raiders' offense. The star of the Raiders' defense is pass rusher Max Crosby. I love Max Crosby. If you watch the TV show Net, uh, Quarterback on Netflix, you saw a lot of clips of him talking smack with Patrick Mahomes. And what I like about Max Crosby, A, he's like a likable personality, but B, he's got a, a fast motor, man. The dude plays really, really hard. He's always giving his best effort. He's an easy player to root for and like. Um... I am really curious how corner Marcus Peters does and how he impacts their secondary. Marcus Peters is 30 years old. He's played some good ball in the past. They really need help at corner. Maybe Marcus Peters can do that, but that feels like a wild card roll of the dice to me. And I'm, I'm really skeptical of the Raiders' offensive line. Um, they didn't make any changes. Neither guard got replaced. That's Alex Bars or Dylan Parham. Dylan Parham was a third-round pick in 2022. Is going into year two. I want to see him develop. I've got maybe the Raiders offensive line is better, but it was weird. They didn't make any big moves to try to improve anyone or, or make any additions on the offensive line. Uh, I think part of that's because last year 
their running back, Josh Jacobs, led the league in rushing, so they feel good about their offensive line because they blocked really well um, running the football. But I'm not sure that's going to be repeated. I, I think they overachieved a little bit on the offensive line. It's really hard to lead the league in rushing two years in a row. And a real concern is if Josh Jacobs get hurt, gets hurt at running back, they've got no backup running back that's really capable of much. So I, I'm concerned about the offensive line. I hope they make progress. They don't have a lot of depth at running back. I'm not sure their quarterback can stay healthy. I don't know what their tight end's going to do. To me, the Raiders are the worst team in the AFC West. And their first four games are going to be brutal. They're going to play at Denver week one, at Buffalo week two. Then week three, the Raiders play the Steelers in Vegas, which that's still going to be basically an away game because of how well the Steelers travel. Then you play at L.A. against the Chargers. That will be basically their first home game of the year with a lot of Raiders fans in the stadium in Southern California. But I think it's more than likely the Raiders are going to start the year 0-4. And from, on that, from that point on, uh, I actually have the Raiders finishing the year at 4-13. Four wins, 13 losses. I, uh, I'm concerned about their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm concerned he's going to get hurt. I'm concerned about his ability level. Can he stay healthy? The offensive line concerns me. I don't have a lot of faith in their defense. But the biggest problem is this. This is the number one issue with the Raiders football team. I don't believe in their head coach, Josh McDaniels. I, uh, I'm not sure he's ever going to work in Vegas, actually. He was once the head coach in Denver. He was a disaster. Last year in year one with the Raiders wasn't great. He basically ruined Derek Carr's career. Made him look worse than ever. And I look at the Raiders, I see a team with an average roster and a below-average head coach. And so that is why I have the Raiders going 4-13 and 13 this year. It's just not a great team, and it's definitely not a great coach. So, um, yeah, that is why I have the Raiders going 4-13 and 13 this fall. All right, I'm going to take a short break. i got to go to the bathroom. When I return, we'll talk about the NFC West. That is the 49ers, the Seattle Seahawks the Rams, and the Arizona Cardinals. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, the storm is still going insane outside. The winds are crazy. I hear things clattering. I don't know if you can hear it on the microphone, but it's uh, it's definitely storming outside. Also, I want you to know um, that I did the entire first half of the show with an almond like lodged into the top of like the roof of my mouth. It was horribly uncomfortable. Um, I got it out during the break. I've wanted to do that for a while. I uh, I couldn't get it out before recording. I'm like, well, I got to just continue on and do the show because I'm like, I got I only got so much time on my hands. I can't spend half my day trying to do this. But I finally got it out during the break, and uh, wow, I uh, feel way better. I don't know if you ever have had that happen to you, but like almonds, they got that sharp little thing at the end, and. Part of it was just like lodged in, like a little almond shaving right into the roof of my mouth. And it was not fun. It just really hurt. And I finally pulled it out kind of at the back. Anyway, it doesn't really matter, but I feel like I want brownie points for recording half a podcast with like a literally almond jammed into my, my roof of my mouth bleeding a little bit. It wasn't fun. I want to be clear. Not a fun experience. Um, all right. Uh, now that we have that settled, let's talk about what I think is going to be, um, you know... This prediction is going to be probably my most controversial prediction of anything I do during round one. 
So I want to just say, I invite conversation. I invite feedback. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. Tell me why. Tell me why I'm wrong. Please don't just disagree with no argument, though. If you're going to disagree, don't just say, you're wrong, you're an idiot. Say, hey, you're wrong. Here's why. I love hearing that. I love having conversations. Um, let's dive in. Brock Purdy is going to be the week one starter for the San Francisco 49ers. And I think you have to go with him. The locker room believes in him. I think you can only do more. You can only like get rid of him or move off of Brock Purdy if he doesn't win. They've got two other quarterbacks in San Francisco, Sam Darnold and Trey Lance. Both are former number three overall picks. But if you start one of the quarterbacks not named Brock Purdy week one and you lose, you're going to have a mutiny in the locker room. They're going to say, uh, why isn't Brock playing? Why are we not starting the quarterback who led us to a game within the Super Bowl last year? This doesn't make any sense. So uh, I think it makes sense. Brock Purdy's the starting quarterback. He came out of nowhere last year, Mr. Irrelevant, literally the last pick of the draft, and then started out the year as the number three quarterback. It's a really cool story. He took over after Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, played in the final six regular season games, led the 49ers to an NFC title game. They lost to Philadelphia when he got hurt, but you always will wonder, I will always wonder, if Brock Purdy didn't get hurt, would they have gone to the Super Bowl? That's very possible. I don't know that it really matters who the 49ers quarterback is. I think they're such a good football team with such good coaching that you know, they're so talented. I feel like any quarterback uh, of the three they have could probably win a lot of games with them. But it's worth noting, the offense uh, has a ton of weapons. They've got stud tight end George Kittle, arguably the best tight end in football. I think George Kittle's better at tight end stuff than Travis Kelsey is, but Travis Kelsey's better at receiving stuff than George Kittle is. You've got two great wide receivers, Debo Samuel, who can line up at running back or receiver all over the field. You've also got Brandon Ayuk. You've got Christian McCaffrey at running back. I think the big question on offense, other than the quarterback position, is the right tackle spot. Uh, Mike McGlinchey left to go to Denver this offseason. So Colton McKivitz is going to be elevated from a backup to a starter. He's the 2020 fifth-round pick, and uh, he's been elevated to their starting right tackle. Colton McKivitz, can he play? I don't know. We'll find out. That's going to be interesting this year. It's a big question mark on their offensive line. Although I would think if they thought he sucked, they probably would have replaced him and found a new right tackle this offseason. I just believe in John Lynch, the general manager. So even if McKivitz isn't this great right tackle, I'm sure he'll be serviceable at minimum because I think if they realized they had a huge problem, they would have found a way to solve it this offseason. It is also worth mentioning the 49ers have... Their left tackle, Trent Williams, is, in my opinion, the very best offensive lineman in all of football. He's amazing. So um, the weakness on their offensive line is the right tackle, but that remains to be proven. We'll see how he does this year, uh, their new starting right tackle. There was a big loss. The 49ers lost their defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans. He left to be the head coach in Houston. However, I thought they recovered pretty well. They made an amazing hire. They hired Steve Wilkes as their new defensive coordinator, I watched the Carolina Panthers last year after they fired Matt Rule, and Steve Wilkes was the head coach, the interim head coach for a while. Man, he had that team fighting really hard. I thought as an interim head coach, Steve Wilkes arguably should have been hired as a head coach in Carolina. So I think that's an amazing hire, a really good way to recover from losing D'Amico Ryans. I mean, they just reload. They got, you know, they lost Robert Sala. They reloaded and got D'Amico Ryans. Then two years later, they bring in Steve Wilkes. I mean, um, I really believe in the 49ers. Apparently, um, they're really good at hiring Defensive coordinators. They've done it three times in a row and done a really good job. Now, 
I would not want to play against the 49ers if I was a quarterback uh, in the NFL. Their defensive line is terrifying. A couple guys that stand out on the defensive line, just to name a few, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave. You know, Nick Bosa's an incredible pass rusher. He's terrifying. Adding Javon Hargrave, their defensive tackle, was a big move. He came over from Philly last year, or came over from Philly, played there last year, got them to a Super Bowl. Um, I think it's a huge, huge deal that not a lot of people are talking about. Now, the 49ers lost two starters in their secondary. Safety Jimmy Ward is gone. Corner Emmanuel Mosley is gone. And so we are likely going to see D'Amador Lenore uh, as their new starting corner, their number two corner for the 49ers. He's a young guy. He turns 24 in October. He's a 2021 fifth-round pick out of Oregon. He's unproven. So that's a big question mark is what does D'Amador Lenore do at corner for the 49ers? However, here's a great advantage he has. He's got a great defensive line backing him up. And when you got a great defensive line making quarterbacks uncomfortable, it makes it way easier for corners. And if you've got a weaker corner who's not as good, it doesn't matter if the quarterback, the quarterback, the opposing quarterback of Joe Burrow is playing the 49ers, but he's getting sacked and on the ground. doesn't matter how weak your starting, right, you know, starting number two corner is if the quarterback can't get the ball off. So I think that any weakness they have at corner is going to be really helped by their great pass rush getting after the quarterback. Now, before I tell you my prediction for the 49ers 2023 season, I want to say two things that are worth noting. Number one is that I love safety Talanoa Hufunga, um, guy out of USC. He's in year two. It's just fun to watch. He's a, a safety that plays with high energy. He hits really hard. He's smart. I feel like he's regularly in the right spot. I really like Talanoa Hufunga. I think that might be controversial. I'm not sure. I heard someone criticizing him recently, but I, I really think he's a great safety. I like him. I thought it was a high-value draft pick when they got him out of USC, and I, I really, really like watching the guy play. And number two, uh, my other note is that Sam Darnold's on this football team. Sam Darnold has had multiple attempts to try to become a franchise quarterback in the NFL. He didn't work in New York with the Jets and Adam Gase. He didn't work with Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers. However, if anything happens to Brock Purdy, I think Sam Darnold could play well. Um, you know, he's playing for Kyle Shanahan on the 49ers. They are... That's basically the only scenario in the NFL where I would feel comfortable with Sam Darnold being a starting quarterback. Like, if he was in Tampa or Vegas or Atlanta, I probably would have no confidence in Sam Darnold. But, look, Kyle Shanahan's such a good head coach that I feel like no matter who plays quarterback for him, they're going to win and do well. And so um, I, I think that playing for a great coach and a great team puts Sam Darnold in a good position to do well if he gets forced into action. Now— Everything I just said is probably going to come across like kind of a contradictory statement because I'm going to tell you my prediction for the 49ers and then why I believe it. And you're going to go, Zach, what about what you just said? I'll, I'll explain. I have the 49ers going nine and eight this fall. Nine wins, eight losses. And uh, I can already like imagine the wave of angry emotion and energy coming at me from 49ers fans. You're an idiot. What are you talking about? How can you say the 49ers are going to go 9-8? and eight? But as I look at their schedule and try to evaluate how I landed on this 9-8 and eight season, because I go through every game, I make picks, and then at the end of the end of my process, I count up all the wins and losses for an NFL team. That process gave the 49ers 9 wins and 8 losses. And uh, I think the reason why we got here 
is because I'm not sure what to expect from their quarterback, Brock Purdy. I'd like to believe he's going to be amazing. And the 49ers have a great football team around him. However, there's a lot of really great football teams in the NFL this year. I mean, it's just kind of loaded with teams everywhere, it feels like. As I look around the NFL, there's not a lot of easy games this year. Every team feels like they got a chance other than like Arizona and the Rams and maybe Houston. But here's a really big thing I had to ponder as I went through the 49ers schedule. When they play Cincinnati, for example, both really great football teams, both have been really successful, both went to the conference championship game in you know, the AFC or the NFC last year. But who's got a better quarterback? Who's better, Joe Burrow or Brock Purdy? I think Joe Burrow's better. Wins that matchup. So two great teams with great quarterbacks. Who's better? The other quarterback. How about Lamar Jackson and Baltimore or the 49ers and Brock Purdy? I think Baltimore is going to be really good this fall. Who's going to win that quarterback matchup? Lamar Jackson or Brock Purdy? Who's going to outperform the other, score more points? I think Lamar Jackson. Jalen Hurts or Brock Purdy? Deshaun Watson or Brock Purdy? Dak Prescott or Brock Purdy? I'm not trying to hate on Brock Purdy. I think I just don't know what he can do yet. Nine wins could be way, way off if Brock Purdy plays at a really high level. And it's worth acknowledging that in the six games he played at the end of the regular season last year, Brock Purdy threw 13 touchdown passes and four interceptions. Over 17 games, that rate would mean that he would throw 37 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. That's a really great season. And if that's what Brock Purdy does this fall, I'm going to be wildly inaccurate. Nine and eight is going to be totally wrong. I acknowledge that. And maybe that's what he's going to do. But I think you have to acknowledge Brock Purdy is the number one question on this football team. Can he outperform and beat quarterbacks like Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Kirk Cousins even? I think I'm not ready to say that yet. I think I'm not ready to say that Brock Purdy is going to win a quarterback duel against another really good quarterback. We'll see. I hope I'm wrong. I love Brock Purdy. He's a great story. And the dude seems locked in. As I listen to interviews and conversations he's having and a couple times in front of a microphone, the dude is like all business. I really, really appreciate the, I would say the intensity it appears that Brock Purdy is approaching this year with. He's really, really trying to take advantage of this opportunity he's been given to start in San Francisco. But I think when you really force me to make a decision, I'm just not sure what to expect from Brock Purdy. And the reality is if Brock Purdy doesn't have a great year, we might see Kirk Cousins as a starting quarterback in 2024 in San Francisco. Like he's an unproven commodity. Time will tell. I want to see Brock Purdy prove himself. I want to see him have a great year. If he throws 37 touchdowns and 10 interceptions, that would be amazing. And if they do that, 9 and 8 is going to be totally wrong. But I don't feel comfortable relying on him so far. Like, if I have to make predictions, who do I believe in? Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts? That's how I ended up at 9 and 8. And I, you may not like that. You may not agree with me. That's totally fine. But I just don't feel comfortable betting on Brock Purdy yet, and uh, we'll see what he can do. But if there's any prediction in my first round of predictions that's totally wrong, it's going to be this one. I can own that and acknowledge that. And 49er fans, I hope you can forgive me for it. All right. um, That was a—it's weird how, like, 
if no one watched the show, I wouldn't care. Like if I was just putting this out and putting it on private, I would say that. But it's it's funny how the the fear of feedback, the fear of anger and vitriol and mean comments can really color the way you say stuff. You're like, hi, we'll see, man. I, I hope I'm I'd love to be wrong about Brock Purdy, but when it came to picking their games, I'm like, two great football teams. Who's got a better coach? Who's got a better as a as you measure all the way down the line, it came down to who's got a better quarterback. And usually I felt like the other team had a better quarterback. So that's how we ended up with the 49ers going nine and eight. I think they're a great football team, capable of a lot. But Brock Purdy's still got to prove himself before I'm gonna, you know, make a prediction betting on him being a truly great, like elite level quarterback. Um I know that's gonna infuriate some people though. Now let's talk about Seattle. In my opinion, the Seattle Seahawks, you know, the Seattle Seahawks are a better team than they were last year, in my opinion. I think they could win the NFC West. If Brock Purdy isn't amazing in San Francisco, I, I see a really great opportunity for the Seattle Seahawks to win that division and kind of run away with it. And, and I love the position Seattle's in with their roster. They've got a really great blend of young, talented guys mixed with Stud veterans. It's just a just an awesome roster top to bottom with a lot of youth, a lot of good veterans. I, I feel great about this year, and I feel great about the future in Seattle. I do wonder how long Pete Carroll is going to be the head coach in Seattle. He's been there since 2010. He's 71. He's the oldest coach in the NFL, oldest head coach. I wonder what the future looks like for Pete Carroll, and maybe eventually he could, you know, hand the reins to the offensive coordinator, let him become the head head coach eventually. I'm not sure. Now, Seattle had two first-round picks in 2023. They drafted two players that I absolutely love. They drafted number five overall, a corner, Devon Witherspoon. That made Seattle's secondary even better. They've got two good safeties, Jamal Adams. They've got Quander Diggs at safety. They've got uh, at corner, Tariq Wolin, and now Devon Witherspoon. I love the secondary in Seattle. So the first-round pick, they nailed it. I love it. Then number 20 overall, Seattle drafted receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba out of Ohio State. If you watch any college football, you would know that name and go, oh, wow, that's a really, really talented receiver. And according to my estimation, that gives Seattle three really good receivers out wide. They've got DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and now Jackson Smith and Jigba. And it really reminds me of the big three receivers in Cincinnati. They've got, you know, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Jamar Chase. I think there's a similar parallel between what they got going on in Seattle. And I feel really good about Seattle Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith. He had a breakout year last year. Now he's got another great receiver. On top of that, I think the offensive line should be better. Better? Better? Better is not a word. I think the offensive line is going to be better in Seattle. Then guess what happened? Better in Seattle became better. <laughs> uh, both tackles in Seattle. Uh, right tackle Abraham Lucas and left tackle Charles Cross are going into their second year in the NFL. They're no longer rookies. I expect them to get better this fall and be better than they were last year. Also, I think one thing you got to talk about, because I, I saw this happen with Cincinnati. When you've got three really good options at receiver, it helps the offensive line too because it creates mismatches outside. And Geno's going to be able to get rid of the ball way quicker and uh, be under pressure less just naturally because he's getting the ball out of his hands a lot faster. And I genuinely believe Seattle's offense is going to be similar to what Cincinnati and Joe Burrow do. A lot of, lot of 
uh, incredible stuff. I, I just want to see they'd have a, maybe a weaker offensive line like Cincinnati did last year. Not a horrible offensive line, better than last year, but still developing at the offensive line. But having that third receiver is going to really make things easier. You're going to see Gino holding on to the ball less, getting the, rid of the ball more quickly. Uh, I think they're going to win a lot of matchups out wide. That's going to be awesome. Now, I think it's also worth mentioning, though, Seattle's offensive line is really young. They don't have a single starter over 26 years old. And so while I think Seattle's offensive line is still a year or two away from meeting their peak potential, I think it's really exciting to believe that I think Seattle may have really figured out their offensive line for now and for their future. And for years and years, I harped on Seattle's got to get an offensive line. They got to improve on the offensive line. It feels good to say that finally, again, I think Seattle's got stuff going right on the offensive line. Now, I am really interested to see what happens with defensive end Draymond Jones. Uh, Seattle just gave him a new contract that felt like a vote of confidence. He had six and a half sacks last year. That's uh, interesting, but they must feel like he's doing some really good stuff in camp. They gave him a, a contract extension, and uh, I'm curious to see what he does this fall. And there's another player I got my eye on in Seattle that's got to kind of prove himself. It's Noah Fant. He's their tight end. He's a former first-round pick in 2019. Seattle got him in the Russell Wilson trade with Denver. He had 50 catches and four touchdowns last year. He, did not have a, he didn't have a bad year last year. But I'd like to see him really have a breakout year and dominate. And uh, if he can play a role similar to what C.J. Uzama did as the tight end in Cincinnati when they went to a Super Bowl, that would be a huge, huge victory for me. But he's really talented and capable of being like a top-level tight end in the NFL. He's even you know, more talented, a lot better than what C.J. Uzama does that year Cincinnati went to a Super Bowl. So I've got high hopes in Seattle, man. Now— Despite everything I just said, all the praise, I do think Seattle's going to go 9-8 and eight this year. That's the same record as last year. I know that's going to infuriate Seattle fans. However, I think they're going to be in the mix to win their division. I think 9-8 and eight even could possibly win them their division. Um, as you look around the NFL, there's just so many loaded football teams. There's only so many wins to go around, and they got a tough schedule. But what I will say is 9-8, and eight, they make a playoff game. They could make a playoff run. The AFC is significantly stronger than the NFC. I like the way the Seahawks are built. I feel good about this year. I feel good about their future. It's going to be really fun. They play Cincinnati week six, and that's going to be such an interesting matchup because of how similar I think these two football teams are. Uh, Seattle's going to be coming off of their bye week, so they're actually going to have extra time to prepare for that football game, meaning I think Seattle could beat Cincinnati week six. But the one thing that really hurts them, and part of why Seattle's nine and eight in my predictions, is that I think in the second half of the year, Seattle got monumentally screwed over. Um, There's a four-game stretch where Seattle goes through an insane gauntlet of, you know, the best teams and the best pass rushes in the NFC. Week 12, Seattle plays the 49ers in Seattle. Then week 13, they play at Dallas. That's another great pass rush. Week 14, they play the 49ers again, this time on the road in San Francisco. And then week 15, they play Philly. That's, you know, those three teams, 49ers twice, Philly and Dallas are the best pass rushes you know, in the entire NFL. The best teams at getting after the quarterback are going to be playing Seattle four weeks in a row. That's not great with a, a young, inexperienced offensive line. Now, that gauntlet doesn't start till week 12. That's enough time for Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross to really get even better. But it's brutal, man. It's a really tough stretch of games that they might go 0-4 in. 
I, I think they're going to beat the 49ers in one of those three game, one of those two games. You play a team twice in three weeks, you can win that. But um, that's a really tough stretch of their schedule, and that's part of why Seattle's going to go nine and eight. But I think nine and eight making a playoff game doesn't mean they couldn't make a deeper playoff run and maybe even go to the NFC title game or even the Super Bowl. Like there's the the NFC is just not as strong as the AFC. You look around, you've got the 49ers are contenders, Dallas, Philly, Detroit. I mean, every team I just listed is a team I feel like Seattle can hang around with. So I think they're kind of a sleep, you know, a a, a sleeper for maybe a I think the word I'm looking for is dark horse. Super Bowl team, where I think Seattle could go under the radar, get way better as the year goes on, and by the end of the year hit their stride. It really reminds me of when Cincinnati made a Super Bowl run. I think Seattle's a very similar football team. I don't know that Geno Smith is Joe Burrow, but um, I, I love the way the Seahawks are built. I like what they're doing, and there's a lot of potential with this football team. If they get in the playoffs, man, they are going to make a run. I really believe that, because I think week one— to week 18, they're going to get way better and be a different football team. It's even better. So I'm just excited to watch the progress Seattle's going to make on and off the field. I think that um, I think this organization's headed in such a good direction. And that's not something I said for a long time. So as I look around, I do research, I look at what Seattle's doing. It feels great. And I'm from the nor- Northwest. I'm not a, a Seahawks fan, but all my friends and family are. And so I find a I find joy in seeing my my friends and family happy week to week when they win and their team does well. So I think it's possible that uh, for the first time in a while, Seattle's roster is headed in a great direction. And, uh, you know, they won a Super Bowl years ago in the early Pete Carroll era. They could be headed towards that again. And uh, that's a pretty interesting, cool thing to be able to say about Seattle. All right. Um, we we got to talk. I mean, they're part of the NFC West. We can't ignore... Arizona and LA, but um, we got to talk about them, so let's do it. The LA Rams kept their three best players, quarterback Matthew Stafford, receiver Cooper Cup, and defensive tackle Aaron Donald. Although, honestly, I'm not sure why. I I don't know why they didn't fully commit to tanking. It doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, I believe the Rams really did try to trade Matthew Stafford this offseason. They made a few calls, but nobody wanted that crazy contract. I'm sure they called New Orleans. Sure, they called Tampa. Last year, all three of these players got hurt and missed a lot of games. Aaron Donald only played in 11 games. Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford only played in nine. It was an ugly year, um, but it was ugly even before they got hurt. And uh, this offseason, they traded away star corner Jalen Ramsey. And I, I, when that happened, I thought that was going to trigger them fully tearing down their football team and rebuilding. Because financially, the Rams are still paying, literally paying for the Super Bowl they won. They went all in to get to that Super Bowl and win. I think it was worth it, in my opinion. But the result is that the Rams have $72 million of dead cap space, meaning that they are paying guys who are no longer on their football team a ton of money this year. Now, I love the Rams head coach, Sean McVay. He's a wizard. He's amazing. He won a Super Bowl. He's been to two. He's only 37 years old. Sean McVay is still the youngest head coach in the NFL. He's not going anywhere. He's he's not on the hot seat. If they're terrible this year, it's totally fine. I think it's understandable. Again, they're paying for their sins. They're paying the price of going all in and spending a ton of money to win a Super Bowl two years ago. But this was a bad team last year. Even before Stafford, Donald, and Cooper Cup got hurt, they were a bad football team. And they lost players and got even worse. So the Rams are like really, really bad. It's it's ugly. 
Um, and there's a couple rookie starters that are going to be fun to watch. You know, left guard Steven Avila, second-round pick. That's going to be interesting. They've got Kobe Turner and Byron Young. Both were third-round picks who I expect to be starting on the defensive line. There are a couple reasons to watch. Now, unfortunately, Byron Young is actually currently on the pup list with an injury. That's not awesome. That's one of literally the most exciting things to me is watching these young guys in, in L.A. playing for the Rams. But outside of their big three, the Rams just aren't very good. I think this team wins like four games maximum. They play Arizona twice. They play at Indy week four. Those are good opportunities to win. But I have the Rams going 2-15 and 15 this year. And I know that sounds crazy. Like, wow, like, they've got good players. They got three of them. But I think there's going to be a point where the Rams realize that winning doesn't help us. Winning, in fact, actually is going to be antithetical to what the Rams are going to try to do long term, which is build another Super Bowl team. And the minute they realize, hey, losing gets us potentially the first round pick, first overall pick, excuse me. And if the Rams kind of smell blood in the water and go, hey, we might be able to draft Caleb Williams, the hero quarterback at USC. That would be amazing. So I have the Rams going 2-15 and 15 this year. I think they could be sellers at the trade deadline. I could see them trading away Aaron Donald. I could see them trading away Cooper Cup. Maybe Cooper Cup goes to Detroit. Maybe I think that the Rams could make literally like baseball trades where they send off their best players to teams that are Super Bowl contenders for first-round draft picks and then really heavily rebuild. If the Rams can get you know, a first-round pick for Aaron Donald or Cooper Cup and then have three first-round picks next year and really rebuild their football team, that would be huge. So I think losing is actually good for the Rams this year. And I was surprised they didn't go all in on tanking. I don't know what that's about. I think it's, again, they tried to trade Matthew Stafford. No one wanted him. They had Cooper Cup. They had Aaron Donald. They're like, Let, let's give it a run. But I just don't have a lot of confidence that a team that was bad with them last year which got worse and lost some of the, their good players is going to be even better somehow this fall. I just don't see it, and that's why I have the Rams going 2-15 and 15 and maybe having the number one overall pick this, uh, I guess, next NFL draft. All right, um, now we got to talk about Arizona. Um, I believe the Arizona Cardinals have the worst football team in the NFL, and it's really close. They're neck and neck with the Rams. However, the Rams at least have a great head coach, Sean McVay, They've got three stud players, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, and quarterback Matthew Stafford. The Cardinals don't have a great team. I'm not sure they've got a quarterback. Their quarterback, Kyler Murray, is recovering from an ACL tear. And Kyler says he wants to be back in time for week one. I'm not sure that's really a realistic timeline. I'm not a doctor, but we'll see. He's saying one thing. The team won't commit to any kind of timetable. I don't know what to make of this situation. I expect Colt McCoy to be their starting quarterback week one. And I feel bad for the Cardinals' new head coach, Jonathan Gannon. I think what happened was no one wanted the job, and he's kind of the only sucker willing to become the head coach of the Cardinals. No one wanted to take that job. They're a poorly run football team with a huge question at quarterback. They had to get rid of their star receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. Um, It's not great. There are a couple notable players. They've got Marquise Brown as a good receiver. I love their defensive tackle, Lee Kaifotu. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in Zayvon Collins, her defensive end. He was a first-round pick in 2021 who, in two years, only has two sacks. He's played in 33 football games and sacked the quarterback twice. He's a defensive end. He's a first-round pick. Is he going to be a bust? Is he already a bust? And then I look at Buda Baker's probably by far the best player in Arizona. I would put him actually above Kyler Murray. He's like an incredible safety. 
But the rest of the secondary is not great. He doesn't have a lot of help in the secondary. He's only one safety. He can't play the other safety position or the corner position. And I think Arizona's going to get absolutely lit up by Seattle the two times they play them. Frankly, the big storyline in Arizona is that they've got two first-round picks. And, um, you know, they've got their own first-round pick in next year's draft, and they've got Houston's first-round pick. So those both could become top-five draft picks in 2024. And when you realize that, I go, I don't know why Arizona would even want to win football games this fall. And I'm not sure they do. Um, It was very telling this offseason when the Cardinals had the most cap space available of any NFL team and yet didn't really bring anyone in. They didn't make any kind of big moves. It made me think, I don't know the Cardinals are really even trying to win. Now, they did make a change at general manager that might have muddied the waters and impacted free agency, but I have Arizona going 1-16 this fall. I think they're going to have the number one overall pick and maybe like the number three overall pick or four overall pick from Houston. It's going to be a huge opportunity for them to rebuild their football team. And if this happens, if they go 1-16, I think you got to trade away Kyler Murray. I think he goes to like Tampa or, gosh, I mean, that's an, imagine Kyler Murray in Atlanta, something like that. I mean, there's, there's like endless possibilities, maybe Minnesota, maybe Kyler Murray becomes a Minnesota Viking next fall and Kirk Cousins goes to San Francisco. But I don't, I think it's very unlikely Kyler Murray is still going to be the quarterback in Arizona in 2024. I think that's the impact this year is going to have. They've got very little talent. Their quarterback, Kyler Murray is hurt and not available. They're, I think, the worst roster in the NFL. They've got a goofball head coach, Jonathan Gannon. There's some videos of him that are really cringy on the internet where I'm like, ah. His social interactability. It's not a word, interactability. His interactions with his new football players. I'm like, you did what? There's this video where he's like, he he meets a a draft pick and he's like, he doesn't really introduce himself. He goes, hey, what's up? And then he goes, phew, 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 big play, explosion. And you're like, is this Michael Scott? What's happening? It's very uncomfortable. Like, what? This is your head coach? What's going on here? And then you, look, you consider the fact that I think Arizona has, first of all, they greatly benefit from losing. They benefit in the draft, and they have every incentive to lose football games this year. I don't know why they would try to win for Arizona. Tank, go get a first round. Go get Caleb Williams or Drake May. You can't lose. And maybe you get a, another top five pick and get another great player. Build your offensive line. So I think that, man, um, it's going to be an ugly year in Arizona. I feel bad for Cardinals fans. I think teams like, you know, Chicago, Houston, and Washington, teams that are not doing well that need a win are going to be really grateful when they play Arizona. And so I've got, you know, the Cardinals are going to 1-16. I wouldn't commit to going 0-17. That's just not, I'm sure they'll win a game here or there. They may, they, maybe they win two. Like, ooh, maybe they find a way. But to me, the Arizona Cardinals are the worst team in football. And that is why I have them going 1-16. and All right, guys. uh, Day number two of predictions are down. Wow, we did it. Um, I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you like my shirt. Hope the wind wasn't crazy. Um, My mouth still hurts. It is. I can feel it's bleeding a little bit, which is a weird thing, but it's true. Um, Had like Asian salad for lunch right before recording. And it, uh, the, the cashew, I guess the almonds is what they were, the almond shavings. They really... They came back to bite me. <laughs> anyway, I love you. I appreciate it. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow. We're, tomorrow, we're going to talk about hard knocks, and we're going to talk about the NFC and AFC East. I love you. I appreciate you. Have a great day, and uh, bum bam, we are.